God. Oh, oh no. Fool. <laughs> oh, my God. I really wasn't. I thought I did. I didn't hit the button. Oh, Christ. Oh, let's do it again. <laughs> do, do it again. again. <laughs> we do it again? All right. Give, yeah, give us, give us it in the world. In the world. <laughs> it, uh, let's see. What, what would it be? In a world of mediocre podcasts, <laughs> one rises above all others. Welcome to another episode of Deep Natter. Cue the music. <laughs> hey, I I, uh, I fulfilled a um, a childhood wish. wasn't really a fantasy, but uh, I bought a, a set of books by. Do you know the artist Frank Frazetta? No. Frazetta was um, sci-fi fantasy, mostly fantasy artist. And uh, if you Google him, Frank Frazetta, you'll you'll see an, an incredible body of work. And when I was the, the summer before, we, and I think I'm going to do a video about this because I, I think mm. this is one of those things, you, which we'll get to this in a second, because yeah, on the back of talking about the Mixcast review, mm-hmm. I have a whole section, a whole new section in my notebook of ideas for little sub 15, sub 10 minute movies that you have inspired me to t- kind of start oh, thinking about cool um slippery slope man it is oh my god and i'm looking at things like adrian brought home this set of vintage uh, or actually didn't bring them home she she bought them online but they arrived over the weekend this set of vintage coffee mugs and they're these kind of milk glass coffee mugs in uh like orange and mustard and green and the orange one I, maybe I maybe I knew she was looking at them, but I had completely forgotten. And when I took it out of the box, Sean, it was the same exact mug that my father used to carry around in the truck. Oh wow! When we you know, like that was his like favorite coffee mug, the orange one. Mm. And man, it just it hit me like a ton of bricks. I just I welled wow. up and I was like, oh my gosh! It just brought back this flood of memories of this yeah. of this coffee mug, you know. And I know it's yeah. it's goofy, but it's incredible. It was just another testament to how powerful objects can be in our lives and that sense memory that what, what we associate objects with in our lives. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, I, you know, I, I wrote that down. I was like, okay, you know, video about dad's mug, you know, and, and I've got yeah. this list of things that I think this could be an interesting avenue, not only because it allows me to think about these things and, and kind of get them out, but in doing them in video it brings a different kind of experience to to the viewer that audio does but then i can also release them as audio so it's it's yeah sort of two pieces of content for one for one effort you know exactly yeah and uh so i got these these books and there was a a a science fiction bookstore we moved to upland because we moved around a lot when i was a kid and we moved to Upland the summer before my freshman year in high school. And in downtown, this little sort of historic district of Upland, California, there was um, a science fiction bookstore called The Magic Door. And um, I can remember vividly the layout of this store and, and what it looked like and, and you know, where the, the uh, uh, the, 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 the display cases were on the right hand side and next to that display cases on the left of them was a shelf 
uh, a series of shelves. And on those shelves was this book by Frank Frazetta. It was called The Fantastic Art of Frank Frazetta. And I had never seen his work before. And it just, I mean, it just blew my mind. You know, warriors and princesses and dragons and snakes mm -hmm. and, you know, uh, 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 this, this, this Norse god being pulled on a sleigh by four polar bears. I mean, it was just this really incredible imaginative work. And um, I came home and I was like, oh my gosh, mom, mom. mom, mom. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't get that book. Uh, but, um, his work ended up inspiring me for years. And there was another artist that was kind of one of his contemporaries that also figured into that. And I thought, man, this would be a really cool exploration, not just as, as a way for me to sort of relive or re-experience those memories, but to, to share that experience with people like yourself who may not even be familiar with this guy. Mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. and have never heard the name before. I've never seen the work before, but when you see the work and, and then you, you look at influences on other artists or influences on cinema, it becomes clear what a monster he was, you know, in terms mm -hmm. of, of, of reach. Um, yeah. so I just thought it would be, you know, I'm, I'm writing down, I thought this would be a cool one. I'm writing down a bunch of things that I think would be a lot of fun to revisit. And I'm starting with you know, and you and I have talked about this offline. I'm starting with this, this simple idea of doing the voiceover first, because that's, I, I know I can do that. I, I know I can do the voiceover well. Yeah. And then as I'm learning Da Vinci Resolve, which is just an incredible, the fact that this thing is free is oh, astounding to nuts. me. It's yeah. astounding. Um, but as I learn, you know, more skills, I'll be able to to do more with these things. And that's exciting to me. The idea that I get to go back in, you know, maybe a year's time and, and see my own sort of technical progression in using this application, that, that excites me equal to getting the stories out there because I, I yeah. like improving. I like seeing myself get better at something. Yeah. So, and a lot of this is, is, you know, from you encouraging me to kind of follow this. And I don't, I don't know that I ever would have. And I, it almost doesn't even matter that, that YouTube is kind of tanking at the moment. If, if you're yeah. curious about that, listen to last week's episode. We were talking about it because Sean's got much more info on this than I do. But apparently YouTube is tanking kind of across the board in terms of engagement and viewership. Mm -hmm. uh, is, is that fair? That's fair to say. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, but it just, it, it almost doesn't matter because I just, it's getting me back to this idea of putting things out that I just want to see in the world. Yeah, you know? exactly. Yeah. I mean, this, this video is a perfect example. It doesn't have tens of thousands of views, but I'm, I'm warming up to feeling good about it. You know, for the first week or so, I was like, oh man, I messed that up. And oh, that should have been okay. That's, oh, that's not. But second time out of the gate, I have to keep reminding myself, you're going to get better. You're going to get better. You're going to get better. Yeah, but and also you have to give yourself credit for the fact that, I mean, you're going to be at a thousand views on this video in a few days, yeah. in a few days. Like that's, yeah. that's, that means that people are enjoying it. And from the, the brief little look, I, I had a look at your feedback. People really appreciate it. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, I think, uh, I mean, there's, there's just everything to celebrate about that. As long as you keep your expectations in check, mm -hmm. good times ahead, you know, and like you said, it's about putting something out you want to see in the world. We are so quick and I, I can only speak for myself on this. So I am so quick, but I know other people who are. So I will say we, 
we are often so quick to dismiss even a thousand, you know, and I remember Wilkening, John Wilkening saying to me one time, if you had a thousand people in a room and then, and then ask them, yeah, yeah. ask them how many people have seen this and they all raise their hand. Yeah. You probably, you probably run away. <laughs> you would lose your shit because yeah. that's really impressive it, where it, where it doesn't be, where it becomes less impressive is when we compare ourselves to the Marquez Brownleys, the Peter McKinnons, the, you know, oh, yeah. Yeah. whatever's of the world who, who get millions, but they are in the top 0.1 percentile of everything. Mm-hmm. So is it fair to levy those kinds of expectations on ourselves? Even though we're in the same arena, technically, yeah. even though, you know, I, I technically do the same thing that Mark Marin does or that, that Ira Glass does. I don't do it as well as Ira Glass, but that's irrelevant. The comparisons need to stop. Yeah. Because we are where we are. Yeah, I think so. I mean, the more I've thought about your um, channel as well, like I thought, like, I think I shared this guy with you a little while ago. Um, I can't remember the guy's name, but his channel on YouTube is called Nerd Writer. Oh, yeah. Uh, and it's yeah. just Nerd Writer One, new, uh, numeral one, Nerd Writer One, if you want to search for him. But he covers um, amazing topics. I'm, just, I'm looking at his channel now. What, te- uh, what movies teach us about Mozart? Leonardo da Vinci's best painting. Uh, faces on a big screen about the cl- uh, close-up on cinema screens of a face. Um, what Gordon Parks saw, you know, Caravaggio, Master of Light. Like he, he does these amazing sub 10 minute, basically video essays. But mm-hmm. It is just, it's exactly what you're great at, which is writing a great script and recording a quality voiceover. And then you, you never see him on screen during the body of his, his essay. Sometimes he does a little intro to camera. Often he doesn't. It's just, you know, visuals over the top of a, a really well-written um, essay, like short essay. Um, and I just think you're so well set up to be doing that sort of thing. Thank you. And I enjoy it. I mean, I, 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 like I said, I'm, I'm really warming to the idea of, of doing something like this because my, my biggest uh, turnoff or my biggest apprehension has been being on camera. I don't, I don't want to be on camera. Uh, if my hands are on camera, okay, that's fine. Or if I'm on camera, like I've been thinking about doing some painting demos and, and some technique demos of some of the things that I've been working on in, this, in the other studio. And that feels different to me because I'm not playing to the camera, I guess, or I'm not, I'm not, I'm not just, it's not just a talking head. Like if you're watching me work, if you're watching me do something, that feels somehow different than me speaking directly to camera, which I find intimidating and, and very uncomfortable. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. And, and no one needs you to be on camera for you to communicate well. You know, I mean, it's such a personal choice. Um, some people want to be. Um, mm-hmm. honestly, honestly, if I went back now and started again and could find a way to do it without, I probably would. Really? I just don't think I communicate as well just with a voice. I think, I think I, I learned my communication skills by standing on a stage and talking to people and talking right, to crowds. Right. So the easiest way for me to translate that across the video was... To, and it is, I mean, it, like a lot of my videos are me giving the equivalent of a TED talk. Yeah. And it, it, I'm just happy to be sitting on a sofa in my lounge. Like I am giving talks. So I've, I've very directly translated what, what I tried to get good at for years into the video world. And I think it makes sense that you do the same. Translate what you've taken years to get really good at 
into that video space, which is you writing a, a killer script and recording a really sexy sounding voiceover and then just pulling the visuals over the top to accentuate what you're talking about. It, it, it really makes sense for you. Yeah, I think so. And, you know, it's, I'm, I'm trying to be, I mean, you know, the way I get all too well, I'm trying to be no. cautiously <laughs> optimistic about it and set my expectation around what I get out of it, making it not what numbers are on the backside of posting it. And I think that's a really important distinction for me. Um, yeah. Be because my, maybe even my, my biggest hangup, it's certainly one of my biggest hangups has been numbers, whether that's financial numbers or whether that's audience yeah. numbers. It's been, I mean, you and I've talked about this for a long time that, that, that idea that those things are the only thing that matter before all else. And I really have gotten stuck on that for a lot of years. Um, and I don't think it's healthy because, you know, yep. once you make that realization and, and if you're new to this show, if this is even the first time you're listening to it, go back and listen to some of the previous episodes, because one of the things that, that Sean is so wonderful about communicating and communicating in a way that, that doesn't feel preachy, but it feels I thought about that. <laughs> <laughs> but it feels encouraging, and that is that the numbers are largely an illusion. And I, I understand that they are valuable in the sense that if if for example, Instagram, if I release something on Instagram, it's gonna be seen by, you know, maybe a hundred people. If Sean releases something on Instagram, it's gonna be seen by tens of thousands of people just because our audience sizes are so much different. But the numbers in and of themselves, that's not what means something. What means something is the engagement on the back of that. So if I, if I send something out, it goes to a thousand people, let's say using the, the previous example on the video, but 30% of those people feel compelled to comment or to reach out and, and say something to me, to me, that's job done more than you know, a half a million people where the engagement level is 0.1% or, you know, 0.5% yeah. or whatever, because that's what I'm in this for is the engagement. And I think the, the that's why the numbers matter so much to me, because the, the more that bigger, that bigger piece is, the more people are going to see it. And it gives more people the opportunity to connect. It, it's not yeah. so I can have a half a million or a million or whatever people it's, it's because I know that because of the algorithms, only a fraction of that, that number, that posted number is going to, to see the actual work, you know, and it's somewhere between currently, depending on whose stats you, you uh, look at, it's currently somewhere between two and 4% of your total number of audience. And you also need to apply context because I think this is what you forget often um, yeah. is, is that uh, I think you're often try the mistake you make particularly is trying to compare apples and oranges in in podcast world and video world, and and I mean I've, I I had a chat with um, uh, mutual friend Neil James this week mm -hmm. about podcasting. We had a we had a phone call this week, and it wasn't about podcasting, but we just ended up talking about that as well. And and talking listening to him talk about numbers. Um, a podcast like you are in the the top 
percentile of podcasters in terms of numbers. It just doesn't compare to subscriber numbers on YouTube, but that's because they're not the same thing. And I I think you forget to celebrate your successes in the podcast world because you're looking at the, the top three podcasters in the world and comparing your numbers to subscriber numbers on YouTube, all of which are irrelevant, instead of going, I'm in the top percentile of podcasters. Right, right. Which is, which is something to celebrate only. There's no, there's no trick there. You know, that, that is only a good thing. And, and many people would, would give a lot to be in your position. And it's all context, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And it, and it makes that case that you, have, that you have made so many times that once you get to that plateau, another plateau appears. You, you never arrive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wherever you're at isn't good enough. <laughs> It doesn't matter. I uh, I listened to a great. I'm not. I haven't finished it. I'm about. <clears throat> I'm about a third of the way through uh, this. It's a two hour long podcast with Corey Wong and John Mayer. Mm. And mm-hmm. Co- Corey Wong is a, a brilliant guitarist in his own right. Um, and honestly, I could. I know, I know John Mayer is kind of a bit marmite for people. You love him or you hate him. I, I could listen to him talk about creativity and the process all day because he just seems to think about it. A lot. And a lot of his analogies I don't get. And I, I think he's trying to sound clever all the time. But when he hits it on the head, he really nails it for me. Hmm. And uh, the, the the podcast is called Wong Notes. And the episode is called, <laughs> because it's Corey Wong. Yeah. <clears throat> no other reason, Jeffrey. <laughs> no, that's great. That's great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the, uh, and the episode is called Mayor is King. Um, and it's basically uh, Corey Wong goes to John Mayer's studio and they sit around. They're also playing guitar as well while they're talking, which is quite nice to hear them jam a little bit as well. But one of the things John Mayer, so he, John Mayer just brought out uh, an album last year called Sob Rock, um, which was, you know, we talked about it a little bit at one stage, didn't we? How how that, that title track, Last Train Home, was like a masterclass in 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 pop song writing. Yeah. Um, and That's the, the only the one for me, though. Like, yeah. Yeah, exactly. The rest of the album was a bit, nah, you know, moving on. And I think I think you and I talked about it being kind of a joke. Like, is is this yeah, just is he, is he serious? Yeah, yeah. Exactly. is is yeah. there another record coming out on the back of this? The single's real, yeah. but the rest of it is just a joke. Yeah, exactly. Um, but he talks about that in this podcast episode in the first third, and he says. I'm going to butcher it because uh, I've literally just listened to it and sort of been moving around doing other stuff. So I'm not going to get it word for word. But he, was, he said something like, um, you know, I put this thing out. I expected that it would do really, really well. He thought this one was going to really hit a chord with people. And the really? sales were, were, yeah. And the sales were really not good. Yeah. Um, it's no continuum. Said, <laughs> well, and this is what he says is everyone wants him to make another continuum, but he's not interested in repeating himself because in his words, you, you become a parody of yourself. Because people want you to do the thing that you did once over and over again, like make continuum two, continuum three. He's like, I don't want to do that. I've done it. I want to do other things, which I really respect. And he put Sob Rock out expecting it would do well. And he, he, in his words, he said something, which can just sound arrogant, but he said something like, to, to put it bluntly, the audience is always wrong. They're wrong. We, you, you know, we have this like the consumer's always right thing in art. That's not true. The consumer, the, the, the customer is always wrong when it comes to an artist because he thought about that for a long time. He spent hours and hours in studio. He did exactly what he wanted to do. And then when he stood back and shared it with people he cared about, they're like, yeah, this is great. And he loves it. And he says, like, if they don't get it or they don't, the, the, all it is, is they don't like a thing that he deliberately put out into the world because he believes it 
It should be there and he wants it to exist and he's happy he did it. Mm -hmm. His job is done. If the audience don't like it, that's kind of irrelevant, you know? And I just think that's a really healthy perspective to have. And I know, I know he's got this like very, I don't know, what would you say? Like sort of an arrogant sheen to him, but like, I really think he's, he's humbler than he comes across. He was saying at another point, like he doesn't feel like, um, a rock star or anything like that, you know, he's kind of, he's kind of just dismissed enough that he says he feels like he's the guy in the stadium that people sort of, you know, get out the way so he can get up on stage and play for a bit and they don't take the mic away from him. He's, he, he, he says the, he's, he's the guy with the laminate around his neck. Like right. he's that guy, like, and he says, that's a, that's a great place to be because you can't take yourself too seriously, but you're also going to back yourself and do what you want to do. I mean, I mean, in the meaning of the making, I talk about it being like, self-centered enough in right. a good way like right you believe there should be some things out in the world because you like those things and you realize you have the skill to make those things whether the world thinks that's brilliant or not is kind of irrelevant if you're self-centered enough in the good way you just make it because you want to see it even if it's like something you're like i don't think anyone will get this but I just have something in me that wants to see this exist. So I'm going to make it and I'm going to share it with people. And if 10 people like it and the rest of the world go, we don't get it, that's still fine because I made it and I wanted to see it exist. Job done. End of story. End of story. But I think so many of us are trying to make things to get something. We're trying to make things to manipulate the world to give us money or fame or affirmation is the bigger point, isn't it? Like, tell me I'm good. Tell me I'm worth something. So I'm going to make things and share it with you. And please, as many of you as possible, tell me I'm, I'm worthwhile. If that's our goal, we're screwed. We need to go for counseling first. That's a counseling issue. That's not an art issue to fix. But if you, if you can get that stuff under control, then you're kind of freed up to make Born and Raised or Paradise Valley or, or, or albums that didn't do well in Mayer's collection, you know? Right, 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 right. He believed they should exist. He wanted to see them in the world. And he knew there would be a risk that people don't get it. And he says, like, in three or four years, people might come around to it and go, like, oh, yeah, actually, that's quite cool. He deliberately went back. He did this 80s thing. We just weren't in the right place at the time to get it. But we get what he was doing now. And then it has a resurgence. He's like, whether that happens or not, they're still wrong. I made what I wanted to make today. And that's the end of the story. Yeah. The response is kind of tertiary. I can respect that. I can respect. I mean, and it, it's me being, as a fan, it's me being selfish. It's me being... And I don't necessarily want another continuum, but I feel like some of the other records. I do. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, it's a, it's a terrific record, but I also really like Battle Studies. Yep. I mean, I, I like a lot of his catalog. Okay, but wait, 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 because Battle Studies, I didn't get when it first came out and I love it now. Yeah. So maybe he's right. You know what I mean? I don't know how you feel about yeah, that. Yeah, I one. mean, I, I think Assassin is one of his best songs. Yeah. Yeah. F full stop. I mean, I, I love it. Um, but I think that that... For me as a fan, and I could say this about not just John Mayer, but a lot of other artists, musical or visual or, you know, et cetera, I feel like they started exploring something and then they decided to make this weird left turn rather than from where I'm sitting, continuing to explore that thing that was going in an interesting direction for me as a listener or as a fan, as a viewer, as a, as a consumer of their work. Are you talking about like the overall arc of their career or individual albums? Uh, both. I, I see, because I see like each individual album with him, particularly as an exploration in itself and a complete exploration of something different. So he wants to go into like Americana country stuff. So he mm -hmm. makes Born and Raised. 
And that's it. That's his exploration in that. And he wants to be like the lounge lizard. So he makes search for everything. But that, that's, that's what I'm saying. I think it feels like those things stop abruptly sometimes. You know, like uh, one of my other favorite records, and we've talked about this, is Try. Oh, yeah. With the trio. Absolutely. I think that was a fantastic record. And I think there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of musical gold there left to be mined. But he doesn't seem interested in pursuing it. You know, I, I think uh, Born and Raised, that was an interesting direction for me. I really liked that. And I think there was, I, I feel like there's still more there to be explored. But like you just said, in his mind, he's done it and now he's moved on. And I, I just, I feel like as a, as a listener, and I could say this about actors or, or writers or whatever, that, and, and maybe, it's, maybe it's us as an audience holding on to something that we really connect with and resonate with and want more of and become unwilling to give anything else the same kind of chance because you've struck such a chord with us as an audience with this piece of work that we want you to keep doing not necessarily the same thing, but something somehow related to that. Yeah, I hear you. And, and I kind of agree with you from a selfish point of view. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, yeah, it, it absolutely like, is selfish. Like, like as if I can direct someone else's career. But I also kind of respect that he doesn't care what my expectations are. Um, and he's brave enough to do the thing he wants to do. You, you know where it made sense to me? Because I actually saw him live. Oh, it would have been probably... 2017 2016 2017 something like that in london hmm. and a lot of the because i i dismissed born and raised in paradise valley as albums I, I i listened to them i didn't really care i kept going back to continuum and try and, and hmm. studies but that show was full of of those two uh sort of albums that i didn't really care about as much and they they hit me totally differently when he played them live Interesting. For some reason. How so? And then when he, uh, I'll get like an example of a song. He's got a song called Dear Marie, which is, I can't remember which one. It's off Paradise Valley or, or, or Born and Raised. Um, and Dear Marie on the album was like skippable, like super skippable for me. Didn't care about it. But something changed when, I, when, when he played it live where it was almost an anthem. And it, it wasn't that he changed the song either. It, he didn't. He didn't change the style of playing or or, or or the arrangement enough for it to change the actual thing. It's just that I'm like, oh, okay, that's what that song is. Like in a in a, in 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 a crowd of people responding to that song, that's what it is. And I saw it with new eyes, and I went back and listened to those albums and heard them differently. And I wonder if, like, I bet I bet musicians or any artist probably get really frustrated with how superficially we interact with their work, because. If I'm streaming someone's songs on Spotify and I'm like, oh, well, this isn't what I expected. And I skip away. I don't give it much time. And I'm on to my favorite albums, which I just have on rotation. That, that's the time I give that, you know, it's mm. my selfish little response to something and I can skip away at any second. Whereas when I pay tickets to go see somebody and I'm watching other people's responses to it and it's happening live, I, I just experience it completely differently and realize I hadn't give this, given this a good shake. And I think that's what he's talking about with stuff like Sob Rock. Maybe I would go and hear that album live and go, oh, that's what that song is. Just me sitting in my bedroom with a, with a very specific expectation of what I wanted that album to be, and it didn't hit that. I, I just, I, I didn't have another box to put it in in my head. So I just went, is he kidding? 
Right. And I just moved right, right, on because right. I can be very sn- sniffy and dismissive about stuff. But I, I realized like, and it made me think about my own work, you know, stuff I put out. I mean, I mean, I, I can't count the number of times you get like snotty comments on your Instagram post. Well, I preferred your other work when you did blah, blah, blah. You know, <laughs> Sean's earlier was, work was much more. Yeah. Com- yeah it was a diagonal shadow. And That's I'm right. like, oh, God, kill me. I don't want another diagonal. I'm so sick of diagonal shadow. Please. I want to do something else. But you do it and they're like, oh, this is rubbish. It's like, actually, this is better. You just don't know it. You're wrong. I'm right. I know I'm moving forward. I know I'm getting better all the time and I know where I'm going. I don't have it clearly defined, but I know whatever I'm doing now is forward. But you're interacting with what I'm putting out into the world in such a superficial way Mm -hmm. that is based on your very specific expectation of what you believe I exist to do, which is please you in this very particular way. And you're wrong. You're just wrong. And And I really, I really, when I heard that from him, I'm like, absolutely. We're so scared to do that as artists, I think, because you know, you know, it can be perceived as arrogance. Like I don't care what the response from anybody is, but I also think there's a danger on the other side where you're trying to make it to please the crowd, and and you do have to be more self-contained, and you do have to have the confidence to make the stuff you believe in. I mean, like now, honestly, we've talked about this a little bit. Like my 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 YouTube channel is definitely like slowing its growth massively. It's plateauing off. And uh, I think I found my audience, but also less people are watching because I'm doing less tutorials, specific tutorials. But I want to see more documentaries with photographers that no one knows about in the world. That's what I care about. Mm -hmm. So that's what I'm going to make. And I believe in making those. They're important to make and I love making them. And if the audience says to me, no, we preferred it when you did the one speed light tutorial. I'm sure you did, but you're wrong in that you think that's what my job is. And you're wrong if you think that's better work than what I'm doing now. The, the, the public response to what I'm doing is not a measure of how good it is. And I'm self-contained enough to know what my best work is and to stick to it regardless of the, of the numbers response or the general public response, because I know what I'm meant to be doing. I have a sense of it. You know, as I go, I'm un- it's unfolding for me. And, and the, it has to be completely separate from from the world's, you know, yes, thumbs up, no thumbs down, collective response to that. Well, I don't think it is collective, though. And I think that's part of the problem. You know, going back to Mayer for a second, you you had a very different response to seeing something live in a group of people also experiencing that performance live. I don't know that you can say it was just because he played it differently than he did on the record. We didn't. He played it exactly the same. That's the thing. And, 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 and the reason he's right and I'm wrong is I went back and listened to the record and went, ah, yeah, I see it now. Hmm. Now, now I get it. And he's right. It's a great song. So was there something in the collective nature of experiencing that work that changed your mind or that allowed you to get past something that you didn't hear or see or experience in your room by yourself in a pair of headphones? Yeah, because I think sometimes seeing other people's responses to to art changes your mind about it. I'm mm-hmm. sure you've got a thousand examples now of when someone introduced you to maybe a painter's work that you didn't really understand or get, mm-hmm. but they walked you into it. You went, oh, yeah, it is amazing. Mm-hmm. Whereas you might have walked past it before, dismissed it, or films. Like my friend Doug, 
um, introduced me to to Road to Perdition, like which I I think is now like the high watermark of cinematography. But you know, I kind of seen the trailer and I saw that it was on at the cinemas at one stage, like years and years ago. And I just thought, nah, it's not really for me. And he said, no, trust me, watch this. And we sat down and watched it t- together. And watching him, who was he was ahead of me on the photography journey at the time, point out what they were doing with shots. I'm like, wow, yeah. Sometimes seeing other people's responses to something does show you what it is. Mm-hmm. You missed it because you're being too surface with it or or you're being too specific about your expectations for it. I think there's something to that. Yeah, I do too. I mean, I think that's it for me, it's one of the reasons I love going to the galleries and museums here is mm. is I spend Yes, I spend a lot of time looking at the work, but I also spend a fair bit of time looking at people looking at the work, seeing oh, what yeah. they're drawn to, seeing how they're responding, overhearing little bits of conversations between, you know, family members or friends or or even complete strangers talking about work. And oftentimes they will say something that completely escaped me when I was looking at it. And I'll go back and I'll go, oh, just like, like you just said, oh, yeah. Oh, look at that. Look at mm. that. Because we are, we are in our heads, like it or not. We are in our heads in all areas. And in, in, in going and looking at art or going to a concert and, and hearing music, I think there, you're right. I think there is something to that collective experience that frees us from those bonds, that frees us from our own initial responses or preconceived notions or or limiting beliefs whatever it may be i think there is such immeasurable power in the collective and art and i think it's why i miss going to the movies when when going to the movies meant something more than checking your phone every 20 minutes because obviously you have someplace to be um <laughs> there there is something about going to see live theater there's something about going to see live music and it's not like I said, it's not just because they play the songs differently. No. There's an energy there being in, uh, well, it's communion, isn't it? It's, it's being, being in proximity with, with other people who are having this experience and, and looking over at that stranger and smiling at that, at that, at that one lick or, or seeing mm-hmm. somebody tear up and, and wondering why it hit them. Why did that scene hit them in that way when it didn't hit you that way? And maybe you go back and watch it again, or maybe, maybe there's something going on in, in their life that, that makes a connection. And, you know, it's, it's, you and I have said many times, we're suckers for father and son stories. Oh gosh. Yeah. I, I know people yeah. who couldn't care less about father and son stories, but I am tearing up at the drop of a hat when there's a good father son moment. You know, we, we watched that, that Adam project over the weekend and it's, it's all about, fathers and sons and i'm you know i'm and uh, I'm, I, I watched i watched the judge last week with mm, robert downey jr and robert mm-hmm, Duvall. i mean it mm-hmm. just finishes me every time that film oh, yeah yeah i i really buy that and i think there's a there's there's a i mean without sounding to get off my lawn old man like there's definitely like a, a narcissism about the internet that's a problem like especially when it comes to art because we all act like super entitled customers with everyone else's work um, instead of letting them do what they want to do, you know, and just if we maybe it's the difference between supporting an artist because we believe in the person and supporting 
little pieces of art because it scratches a particular itch for us? Like, will we stand by artists we care about when they don't do exactly what we want? Mm -hmm. Because we believe in the people. Like, I, I want to be more and more that kind of person as I grow older. Somebody who's like, who cares about the person behind the art and their journey. And even if they're not doing what I want them to do today, I'm with you. Yeah, I'm, I'm in your corner because I've seen you've done some amazing stuff. I'm not really sure what you're doing at the moment, but I but I also trust you. And I know you you're probably onto something and I don't understand it yet. And even if not, it's just a misstep and you're going to make something amazing tomorrow. I want to support people rather than pieces of art as if they're consumable products. You know, that, mm -hmm. that feels like mm -hmm. a better person to be. Well, I think this this gets back to, you know, a couple of weeks ago or a month ago or whatever it was when we were talking about some of the photographers or artists that we admire dipping their toes into the NFT market. And our, our initial responses were one. And then on, on reflection, on more discussion, on letting ourselves believe that they know more about their journey than we do, mm. coming to a different conclusion or coming to a different place about what they're doing. I mean, I know that was true yeah. for me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, support people, you know, even if, even if you disagree with them on, on a couple of things, or even if you don't really understand what they're doing now, support, support the artist, you know, I, I yeah, I mean, the best artists I know change stuff up regularly, don't they? They're not the ones who just repeat the same well-worn patterns because it pleases the crowd. We get bored of them. Yeah. Those are the ones we move on from. We're like, oh yeah, I love what they did, but they've never done anything different. It's just retreading the same ground again and again. I'd much rather stick by somebody who who tries a lot of different stuff because they're brave. They have the courage to do that, knowing they might be disliked or rejected, but they're constantly evolving and 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 expanding. Um, and and I, I I like those people because I want to be that person. Right. I, right. I want to keep making new and interesting things. And if people don't get it, I still have the courage to keep going because I believe in it. Right. So I, I, I want to find more people like that. I mean, can you imagine if, if Bowie never did anything different than Hunky Dory? I mean, I, I dig yeah. life on Mars, but imagine what we would have missed out on. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I, I, I just think we should, we should aspire to be those kind of artists and we should support those artists who who do that that we respect beyond the albums that we like and ignoring the ones we don't we should support them as people like that's that feels like a good person to be so how do you get there how do you how do you get from that space of of paying attention to follows and likes and and subscribers and uh zine purchases you know whatever it is t-shirt sales uh mugs, you know, all the, all the tchotchkes and swag that we think about, how do you get beyond that and go, look, I'm just going to put out what I want to put out. And if it lands great, if it doesn't, I'll still sleep well, knowing that I put out what I wanted to see in the world. How do you get to that point? Asking for a friend. Yeah. <laughs> I think I know this friend. Um, <laughs> um He's my friend too. Um, I, I think, I think like, I think it's separating out the art from, from, from the job uh, in your head. Cause I've had to do this recently um, because there's obviously practicalities around paying the bills as an artist and keeping the lights on if that's the direction you choose to go. Mm -hmm. But I thought like, I mean, there's so much that's changing for me. I mean, YouTube plateauing is one thing. 
for me. Um, but like another is um, selling my collections this year has gone awfully compared to other years. Because, really? Uh, mostly, mostly because of um, customs uh, stuff to Europe. So, so my, oh, my because of like Europe, Brexit and things? Because of Brexit. Yeah. So yeah. people are being charged in, in European countries. Like previously, it was, it was 20 pounds to buy the book and whatever the tracked postage was. Now they're being charged 20 pounds for the book, the postage. And then when it gets the post office on that side, they're charged another 20 pounds plus just to pick the book up from the post office. So oh, almost wow. all, of, all of Europe is going, no, we're not going to bother. Why would we pay double the price of the thing just because of import duties? So it's, it's like destroyed my zine sales hmm. for, the, for, for every year, which is, you know, with YouTube plateauing and that happening, like the writing's on the wall. What I'm doing right now is not going to work forever. I don't know how much longer it will work for. So I had to think to myself, you know, what will I do going forward? So you, you and I have chatted offline about I'm, I'm actually starting to look into other things to do mm-hmm, for work. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and... I thought like, well, will I, will I just, if I find that and it starts taking up a lot of time and that's what I want to do, will I then close down the YouTube channel and everything else that I'm doing? I'm like, no, because I still want to see those videos in the world. And I was doing that when I had other full-time jobs, but, but then I, I, I get to make only the stuff I want to make. It doesn't matter because it's not paying the bills. I've got a job that pays the bills and it, it's still either way. It's, it's, it's got to be making the things I believe in and want to see in the world first. It, the only place it gets muddy is if we're trying to hack the system for the fame or fortune stuff. Then we'll start to make stuff we don't believe in. And, and it's, on, it's only popularity or money. It's, it's all it is. You know? And I, I see people playing these games online all the time. You know, I mean, it, it's... You you can kind of see the fight in them. Like, what what do I exist for? What am I actually trying? What am I trying to do here? What's important? I mean, I, I had someone email me, not email me, direct message me. Hang on a second. Yeah, here we go. Direct message me on Instagram the other day, and this is the me- the direct message they sent me. I'm obviously not going to tell you who it was or anything like that, but they they just said, "I'm competing for an ambassador position on an online influencer program. Can you vote for me? If you vote for me, I'll give you two hundred dollars, please." Like. Like, wow. this is the kind of thing. It's like, I'll give you money right now if you'll do this thing, because then I'll get famous. And I'm like, I'm like I, I, I couldn't believe in you as an artist. because I don't even know what you do or how you do it. But I'm not even going to check, because I, I can see straight away what your priority is. And I know that if you're doing this, you're also compromising the things that you're making, because money and fame are important to you. And that's where it gets muddy, is if you're trying to please the crowd and get, quote, unquote, successful. I promise you you're going to compromise. But... To have the guts to make the thing you believe in and let the world's response be whatever it is, knowing you can't control it. And then if it's not enough of a response for you to live off, well, you were never owed that in the first place. Only only very lucky people get that. That's not most of us. So you have to do a day job and you have to keep making the work you believe in on the side. But it should be making the work you believe in either way, I think. Right? I think so. Yeah. I mean, I, I I think absolutely. And that's, I think that's one of the things that you and I have not only talked about, but we've, we've fielded questions and emails about, and I think you hit it right on the head that you're not, because you want to make a living as an artist, you're not owed that. No. Because you want to make a living only making the thing that lights you up. I mean, it's a, it's a, fabulous goal it's a fabulous absolutely you know uh uh thing to strive for but if it 
if it's not in the cards now, maybe it will be later, maybe it won't be. Mm-hmm. But that, that shouldn't preclude you from making what you want to see. That shouldn't prevent you from putting out work that means something to you. And, and I respect everybody who takes those risks to try and make the, the thing that they make their day job as well. Like, mm-hmm. I, I love that story every time it works out. It makes me so happy. Because, you know, I, I risked for that and it, and it has worked for now. I don't think it always will, though. That's the thing. And I, I know I'm not owed this and it might not always be here. I might have to go do other stuff. Um, but so you should risk for it. It's, it's, and it's a brave thing to do. And I respect everyone who does it. But if it doesn't work out, keep making what you believe in and, and make money some other way. Don't make the thing that you make dependent on fame or fortune because you will compromise it. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I, I, this is no secret, but the monetization side of everything I do is, is often foremost in my mind. It's not the reason necessarily that I'm doing something, but trying to figure out that monetary return takes up a lot of processor cycles in my brain. And I think it has become an unhealthy near infinite loop that I get stuck in. Yeah. You know, and I've really been trying to, to think outside of that and, and not as, as we have often joked, not design the merch (laughs) <laughs> before everything before you made the thing yeah <laughs> um because i think it it does it does put you into this weird tailspin if it doesn't go the way that you think it will and the chances are it won't go the way you think it will no. you know the the odds are are against you know, that, that's why they call them one in a million shots. That's why they don't call them one in five shots. Those aren't very impressive. Um, yeah, and if, if it doesn't work, it only means you're normal. Yes. It, it just means that like what's happening is what happens to most people. But good on you for risking it and being courageous enough to try. And if it doesn't work, I mean, you've said already, like you, you, you're quite happy to go get a job at Trader Joe's and you keep painting for yourself, though, because you love it. Mm-hmm. It, it. Having that attitude, I think, is great. Like, I know I might be back to waiting tables mm-hmm. it's because, I mean, I, I don't think I'm owed any more than that. Like, I'm not, I'm not some special little flower that, you know, deserves to be, you know, on some kind of pedestal. Like, I'm just like everybody else. And if I have to go back and find work doing, doing something else other than what I'm doing now, I'll still keep making stuff because I just love making stuff. I love making little films. I love taking photographs. And I'll never stop because mm-hmm. it was never about being gifted some life as an artist. And, and I only consider that luck and, and I'm very lucky to have that and I'm very grateful for it. But I, I also know it's going to go at some point, probably, because it does for most people. If you've got questions or comments about the show, we'd love to hear from you. Send us an email or better yet, a voicemail at deepnatter at gmail.com. Subscribe in your favorite podcast app and support the show by leaving a review or a rating wherever you listen or by sharing the episode on social media. You can support the show more directly by tapping the donate button at jeffreysadoris.com. That's J-E-F-F-E-R-Y-S-A-D-D-O-R-I-S.com. Connect with Sean on Twitter or Instagram at Sean Tuck. 
That's S-E-A-N-T-U-C-K. On his website at seantucker.photography or by searching for Sean Tucker on YouTube. Connect with me on Twitter and Instagram at Jeffrey Sidoris. And as always, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for being here and listening. We hope you enjoyed it and we hope you'll come back for the next one. Thank you.